Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hey everybody, it's Zach Harper. Some would call me the voice of The Athletic. Some also really wouldn't call me that and wouldn't like me saying it. Probably my bosses. You know me from The Athletic NBA Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. I do basket buds on Monday. I do point of contention on Thursday. Now you also know me from the restricted area. What's the restricted area, you ask? I'm so glad you asked me that. It's The Athletic's new weekly YouTube show. That's right. YouTube channel, The Athletic. It's me. It's Wozni Lambre. We're breaking down the most ridiculous and most interesting stories every single week. We're going to have a lot of fun. We'll make a lot of jokes. We'll have a lot of cool visuals. You won't want to miss this. So go over to The Athletic's YouTube channel. Make sure you smash that subscribe button. Smash that like button. Leave a nice comment. Leave a funny comment. But just don't leave a rude comment. But make sure you check it out. We'll see you there. We'll actually, it's a video. You'll see us there. But if we could see you, that'd be kind of creepy. Welcome to The Athletic MBA Show. Monday through Friday. On The Athletic Podcast Network. Coming up on today's show, Yaron Weitzman of Tanking to the Top fame comes on to talk about Daryl Morey taking over in Philly. And we discuss the acrobatics involved in building a coaching staff. This is Nerdish You Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour. With Mo Dekeel. Are you ready to be entertained? And Seth Partnow. And welcome to an all-new Nerder She Wrote on the Athletic NBA Show. I am back from a little mini vacation, and I am your host, Dave DeFore, joined as I am each and every week by Seth and Mo. Uh, how did Hollinger do as my replacement? W- what do you guys think? Uh, is he going to take my job? Or I mean, I've been campaigning for that for a very long time, Dave. I mean, we always have to have one bald guy, <laughs> so you know he, fill- he filled the role adequately. It was either that or <laughs> Seth was going to have to uh, bick it completely. It was it was one or the other. Well, I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna point any fingers, but uh, you know, I, I definitely don't think he's going to miss it much if he were to bick it. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so Daryl Morey uh, didn't waste much time. Um, got himself a job with the Philadelphia 76ers, and you know, we were trying to figure out who we should talk to. To discuss, you know, this this sort of sea change that has now happened in the Eastern Conference. And the best we could come up with was a guy who literally wrote the book on the process. That book, Tanking to the Top. That man, Yaron Weitzman, host of Weitzman Can't Jump. What's up, buddy? Thank you for having me on. Yeah, we're excited. Um, this is probably as close as we've had to to someone that gets the entire history of a team for a new hire ever. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you, you really have like the full backstory. So first of all, I want to just start with uh, how different is this going to be from the hinky reign? That's a good question. Um, Dow, Maury and Hinky are different. I remember, so Maury actually spoke to Maury for the book, and one of the things he pointed out is that everyone compares us, and we're actually pretty different in terms of our personality 
personalities and styles. So lots of things he made a thing mentioned. I believe Sam is religious, and I believe I hope I'm getting this right. Maury's not. Examples like that to uh, how they go about interacting with other people, how they go about you know dealing with phone calls around the league and things like that. So you know, and this is a subject near and dear to Seth, right? But you, people get labeled analytics guys, and everyone assumes that they are just all the same and think the same and act the same. And I don't think that's the case here. I mean, I don't think. I know that's not the case. They just both hold, approach. Hold, hold on, that's not true. <laughs> you guys all don't think the same. So the way the way I summarized in the book, I thought this was a good way. If I may say so, if I may pat myself on the back, but it's not that like the, the similarity between Maury and Hinky were not even that threes are better than twos. I mean, that is, but that's not the root of it. The root of it was, I believe, and the way I understood was like because that's how we've always done things, it's not an adequate answer. And let me get as much information as I can and look at things critically. That's the thing they you know, held. And that's the, the similarity in terms of how they attack things. But in terms of like what they're looking for, styles even as a head man, I don't think there are so many similarities. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, I mean, there's only one song in the analytics hymn book, according to Seth Partnow. So it's uh, we fully expect the Sixers to just turn into a 53-pointer a game team and, and all of these things. Mo, I mean, I guess when you look at the roster currently, um, do you expect any wholesale changes? I mean, you know, this is a team that was a lucky bounce away from a conference finals. Well, I, I, we always say they're a lucky bounce away. They're a lucky bounce away well, from overtime. Let's overtime, just, just, let's yes, just, yes. Let's go from there. And, and it's just more fun to say that they. Yeah, but you guys all them. know by now, and, and I'm the the minister of no fun. Uh, so we're we're setting it up that way. But this team does need a lot of changes. Like, look, they need to build around these two guys, Simmons and Embiid. I think you know. I think Dave and Seth. I think the three of us. I don't know where you're at on this year on, but the, I think the two of them can coexist, but you got to build a roster that works around them and they just haven't done that. And I think there's a lot of changes to be made. I don't know if it's, if they're able to make those changes or all of that and, and in, in what order and how quickly, but we got to expect changes to be, I mean, Daryl's not, he's not one to kind of just stand back, right. And watch everything. Like he's aggressive, you know, and sometimes too aggressive. Sometimes he talks about, being aggressive, but isn't aggressive, all that stuff. But he, he wants to make moves in the sense to build this team that makes sense. And right now the roster itself just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you're a guy in Daryl's position, you're damned if you're, if you do, and you're damned if you don't. And I, I think that I'm, I'm much more into what Daryl does, which is, I mean, Seth, we talked about this when he left the Rockets. That's a guy that, you know, is always going to take a big yeah. swing. You never have to worry about him. He's not going to do the thing uh, where you hear after the draft that he had offered, you know, these four picks to trade up, but was this close or they came this close to getting a big man because you know that the best deal is the one that he's trying to make. So I think that that a lot of what gets talked about Daryl's strengths are misinterpreted. It's like, you know, people talk about the analytics and the three is greater than two. I think the his biggest strength is fearlessness. Like you talk about being damned if you do, damned if you don't. Some people would be paralyzed by that. He just I mean, he doesn't doesn't care. He's he doesn't yeah, give a he's damn. Like more willing than uh, I don't I don't want to say you know every executive, but then by far most executives in the league 
of making a, a deal that goes against like consensus. Oh, you want to make fun of us? I don't care. I think this is good for our team. So we're going to do that. Uh, and in a situation where they are kind of, uh, you know, have some ill-fitting pieces and some questionable contracts on guys who are also ill-fitting pieces at the same time, um, you know, that's that allows for a certain amount of creativity um, that, you know, again, is is more than I think most would bring to bear. Yaron, how do you expect the ownership group to treat Daryl? Like, do you think it's going to be totally hands off? Like you do your thing. And, and obviously he's going to be better about facing the media scrutiny than, than Sam was during his tenure. Um, you expected this is Daryl's show. Um, to a point, right? I mean, he's that ownership group is, uh, Hansy's the wrong word probably these days, but they, they like to be involved, right? Um, in certainly all facets. And it, it's, it's a lot of voices, right? So the ownership group, when I say the group, it's literally a group, right? You have the two majority owners in Josh Harris and David Blitzer, both very involved in all, you know, the whole sports operation, which owns Sixers, Devils, um, I forget which Premier League team, almost bought the Mets, things like that. So you have those two. You have minority owner Michael Rubin, who I believe is now 10% up to. Um, he's best friends with Joel Embiid. Like, um, you know, again, slightly exaggerating best friends here. So that's the guy who's a heavy voice. And my understanding is he played a role a bit in the Daryl recruitment. Then you have CEO Scott O'Neill, who's the CEO of the Harris Blitzer Sports Group, which owns all of these. He's a CEO of was a CEO of the Sixers, CEO of that. He's involved in decisions and, you know, hands-on has always been, um, some people would say too hands-on in terms of decision-making. So right there, like I just named four people, which is more than, you know, this is very different than other situations, right? Where it's just one rich guy who you're reporting to and like you kind of deal with him separately. Um, so all that being said, they are not going to be hands-off completely. And nor should like, you know, sometimes we say, you know, you want owners not completely involved. I don't know if that's fair, right? I think it's good for owners to right. ask questions, make sure things are streamlined, working correctly. There's just that line and it's, are you deferring to the expertise? I do, you know, I don't think Maury comes here, if uh, comes to Philadelphia, if he's not assured that he has final say. He also has the, like you said, he's going to, you know, another difference between him and Sam. Sam came in as a nobody to the Sixers. That is not Daryl Morey, right? Daryl Morey is a big time player, a powerful person in the NBA, a big name. Um, he does not like, he's not going to be pushed around by you know, Scott O'Neill. Um, so again, will these guys have say, yeah, or they'll have input. Um, I would imagine the final say will be a Daryl. Oh. Oh, oh. No, it's just ahead, a five year deal at what I'm assuming is pretty big money. Um, that's, Correct, that's, yeah. that, that's a, that's a big bag to throw on the, to throw on the scale to weight it in your directions. Like, well, it's just, mm -hmm. okay, do it or don't. I don't like, okay, if you're going to do it that way, fire me and pay me then. Um, I'm more interested in doc, the doc rivers part. Like that's what I'm kind of interested in in terms of how, what happens if those two him and Maury don't necessarily agree on something, which doesn't mean that they're fighting, but that I imagine that's a normal thing that happens with NBA teams, right? A head coach. Well, and a president it is, it is interesting timing because they hired doc before they hired the GM, and I do think that we've seen that blow up in numerous places already. And I, I've already wondered aloud whether this is a deal that has obviously been in the works for a little bit. And I can't imagine Doc signing on, not knowing, you know, all right, at least this is our target list. Like we're trying to bring this guy in. And for sure, Daryl um, had to sign off because he signed the contract after Doc. So I, I, I think I agree. I think that dynamic is going to be extremely interesting. And I mean, Mo, you're our Doc whisperer. 
Oh boy. Doc, I'm sure loves to hear that. Um, <laughs> the, I, 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 I'm of a different mindset than you, Dave. I think this was just more of an opportunity because it's not like they had an open position. You know, they had Elton Brand in the role and, you know, it was one of those things. Look, this is, and it also goes back to how much say does Daryl have? They chased him before they went after, before they hired Elton Brand. Like this is a guy they've long coveted. So I think when the opportunity came, it was, yo, let's get him. You know, he will only make us better. We wanted him before. Now he's available. Let's see if he's interested. And I think it's just one of those things. I don't know if Doc would have been as excited or as interested in the job had it been Daryl Morey. There there are stories, though, that Daryl did kind of reach out to Doc while he was at Houston to see if he'd be interested in Houston. So clearly, you know, Daryl has some sort of appreciation for him, and they have that time in Boston together and, and to a degree. So for me, I, I don't know. I think I just pushed back a little bit. I think this was just an opportunistic situation for the Sixers to jump in and take advantage of like, oh crap, this guy's available. Like, let's just see if he wants this job. We wanted him before he's free now. And I think that's kind of how it played out. Now, how it's going to play out between him and Doc, I am fascinated. I want to be in all the meetings. I want to be a fly on the wall. I want to hear all, all that stuff goes. But I think they can find a way to, if they find a way to work with each other and it's somewhere in the middle, I think it's going to be beneficial for both of them. My, I can I just background. I can tell you that's the line they're saying. What they're saying is that you know Daryl came on the market, and the, the way it was explained to me is you know the market inefficiency we're going to take advantage of is that other teams aren't spending during a pandemic. We're going to spend. So Doc comes on the market, boom, let's get him immediately. Who cares what it costs? Daryl, that guy's a stud. He comes on the market, boom, let's spend whatever it costs. Um, there are lots of people around the league who will say, okay, cool, Daryl's not leaving a job if he doesn't know he has another one lined up. So you know. It depends, I guess, how cynical you are. Um, I honestly, I'm confused by it. I don't really know what to believe because I'm a cynic, but I also know they like the way Elton Brand was conducting business and interviews. Like that was, they were operating as if that was somebody who was going to be the top job, have the top job in um, the Sixers organization. So I don't know, like maybe I'm, maybe, you know, maybe the answer is this is the Sixers and they do do things backwards sometimes. So maybe they did go backwards here. But it's, it's not unsimilar to one doc came to the Clippers and became team president. Like, look, before they, they hired, before we brought in Doc and, and traded for him, mind you, the Gary Sachs was the general manager. He was the guy making the decisions. He had the the authority to kind of make things happen and, and do things. And then Doc, when we're talking with Doc, Doc says, yeah, I want to be team president. I want to decide things. That kind of changed the calculus of everything. And because we wanted Doc so bad, because that was to make sure we were able to re-sign Chris Paul that summer, you know, I think that kind of changed everything. So I think to me, cynical, not whatever. For me, I just feel like, I, I, I call me stupid, but I just buy that. That's mm-hmm. kind of how it played out in, in, in this scenario, in this instance. I think we all kind of agree that Doc not having personnel decision-making powers is likely a good thing for Doc the coach because Doc the coach, uh, often his worst enemy was Doc the GM. And I think that having now two people um, making these decisions uh, above him I I think is a a better way to go. Uh, Speaking of two people making decisions, you just mentioned Elton Brand has been running things. Now who's running things? Is it Daryl? I mean, is Daryl above him on the on the depth chart? 
Yeah, I would say so. Um, so what happens now, right? Yeah. <laughs> so what happens to in that dynamic? You know, uh, has Elton been completely usurped, or is this more of a we're going to work together situation? Um, it's a good question, right? They're going to say they're going to work together. Um, I don't, I don't, the short answer is I don't know, right? I don't know the answer to that. I know, I think Elton's even on record from like when he first got the job, um, before they promoted him. I think he's even said this on podcasts. He said this publicly that like he told ownership, yeah, go talk to Daryl, go talk to other guys who are on the, you know, I know that name. I forget, he, I don't know if he named specifics, but just imploring them to say, no, I'm, I'm new. Let's see, you know, go get these guys. Um, we're now, who knows what time is anymore two seasons later i don't know how many years that translates to in 2020 uh, ratio but um you know it's it's different like he was certainly operating whether it was his press conference his postseason press conference whether it was interviewing people you know to come work under him people who would need um gm jobs like milton newton was an assistant gm with the bucks and he interviewed with the um sixers at some point and to take that job you need you know can't do a lateral move you gotta be promoted so that would be a gm job which would mean elton would be bumped up um there were other people like that who would need a GM job. So that stuff was definitely going on. Um, the Sixers are saying that Elton was not only on board, but led the recruiting or talked about it. I don't know. That part's fuzzy. I, the short answer is like only time will tell on that one, right? Elton, he, it would be, he's, he's a, how do I phrase this? He's definitely could be really good in a collaborative role, right? I don't think he has an ego. I think he's like secured himself, but he's, everyone likes Elton. Well, most people like Elton around the league. Um, he's smart. He got rushed into the job, which he admitted at first. It doesn't mean he doesn't want it now. He could probably benefit from being under Daryl, but doesn't mean he wants to stay there. And he doesn't need the money, right? So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Seth, how does it work when you've got two guys trying to share one hat? Is that a, is that a good thing usually? Uh, usually not, though. I think that the dynamic that, that your own talked about, um, where, where Dar- I, I think uh, Elton, even earlier this offseason, kind of talked a little bit about Correct me if I'm wrong, but he talked a little bit about how he kind of wasn't totally ready to do the job when he got it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so if there's a situation where, you know, you can accept someone being brought in over you and especially someone with, you know, the the obvious track record of success and, and the, sort of the gravitas of, of Daryl Morey, that probably makes this a situation where it's more likely to work than kind of, you know, anywhere else. I don't think it is, is all like comparable to the last time the 76ers kind of did the thing where a guy is there and mm-hmm. so no, he's going to be your boss. It'll be great. You'll work together. Mm-hmm. Um, which ironically was, you know, Daryl's protege, Sam Hinkie getting basically pushed aside. I don't think it's that dynamic. Um, so I, yeah, I could, it, can work. It's just a matter of, of whether, you know, people are going to be willing to be uh, work and play well with others. And, you know, there's, there's no reason to think it will go either way at this point. Um, so it's, it's wait and see. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I wonder I wonder how risk averse other teams are going to be. You know, we still don't know yet what the financials are. Obviously, some of this stuff has started to come out. But you mentioned that your own that that Philly seems poised poised to be able to spend money or at least to commit to spending money. This is an opportunity for them. They could be picking up pieces that other teams are looking to lose potentially. Uh, because of the pandemic and and the financial implications thereof, uh, I mean, what do we expect out of this? Is, is he going to try to trade for James Harden? Or I mean, I don't <laughs> think it's going to be James Harden because Houston can't be that silly. But you know, I mean, it, is there someone out there that he's just going to say, you know what, let's do this? Like maybe Chris Paul. So there's two parts. One, I'm fascinated because the Sixers have a history of selling off second round picks. And I'm fascinated by this, you know, if this is a line they're pushing that, hey, we're going to spend money now, that's going to be our zag. Um, it'll be interesting to see if that, you know, if that's just a BS line. We can kind of see during the draft whether that is put into action or if teams maybe if some, I don't know, we'll see selling a first round picks. That hasn't happened in a while, but um, maybe that. Um, in terms of the team, like I'd be very surprised, and I don't know anything, just logic. I'd be very surprised if Al Horford was on the team next year, right? Um, sure. I would think they'll try to. That'll be one of the first things to, they look at, and you know, Maury, that is maybe one of his top skills, right? The ability to work the see the market, work the phones, and try to figure out or flip guys or figure out those kind of situations. What's out there? So I'd be very surprised if Horford was still on the team. Um, the issue the Sixers have is, you know, everyone talks about the Horford and Harris contracts as being bad. But like when you start talking about creative trades, it's not like if you got rid of Tobias Harris, you can then do anything. You're not clearing cap space. You're clearing right, right. salary. You'd still be above the cap. So if you get rid of one of those guys, you still need to do something that like they're still quote good players or not even you know Tobias Harris is bet. Tobias Harris is a legitimately good player. He's just not a max forty million dollar a year player. Um, so whoever you trade, you got to make sure like two things. You're trying to trade <laughs> trade or create some kind of like flexibility, but also make sure your team is still not good or not going back a step. And I think that's where things get tricky there. Uh, well, and because you can't give up too much, right? Like you still have to fill the team. That I've I've actually thrown around the idea that they may have to lose like Matisse Tybel to move one of these contracts. I don't know if that's still going to be the case. Um, surely Daryl is more creative when it comes to the the CBA and salary cap than I am. I'm sure he can figure out some sort of carrot to put on a string for these teams. Uh, but he's going to have to use some of these useful pieces to move one or both of those contracts. So this is the spot where I think that the Doc Daryl dynamic is most interesting because one of the things that uh, like Maury has been able to do in kind of his never ending quest to assemble the pieces necessary to trade for a star if he becomes available is to be able to find guys, whether they're, you know, undrafted rookies, second rounders, guys who've played overseas, who, you know, guys who've fallen out of the league. Um, and, but no, Ben, ben Macklemore, PJ Tucker, um, um, you know, Macklemore. like, uh, even Montres Harrell, like, you know, the, the, those type of players. Um, 
to say that Doc is not noted for his player development or giving, you know, fringe guys, you know, a lot of a chance is sort of an understatement. So there is a little bit of a movement in the league for player development to be a more of an org thing than a coaching thing. So that's that's a real intersection between those two that I'm I'm very interested in because a lot of maybe not even this year, but maybe even looking towards trade deadline or next year is gonna be who are these other, whether it's Matisse Thibel, whether it's, you know, develop Zaire Smith, whether it's find a find a guy somewhere else who can then be like a little extra that you can use in a trade. Um, that's, I, I think that is the one area where, where, the, you know, the relationship and interaction and, 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 uh, division of responsibilities between those two is going to be really interesting as far as, as the, the, the roster moving forward. But, you know, I Doc think- is also Doc in, in not this year, but the year before, you know, one press does do it. Right. Like he had to play a lot more young guys the year when the Clippers were going to be the eighth seed and that hardworking team. He had to play, you know, depend a lot on Landry Shamit and he had to make work on that development stuff. So I think there's a a push in there. Like, I think there's a way to kind of push Doc into that direction, because I think you're right, Seth, in the sense of, you know, Doc has to get better with the player development, with giving these guys time. The only way you're going to be able to make Matisse Thybul and, and Zaire Smith, for example, as, as guys that you can count on in the playoffs is by playing them in the regular season and allowing them to play through mistakes and stuff. And we've seen in the past where he struggled with that, but one forced to have to do it. So I think that's kind of one of those, again, it would be fun to watch that meeting between Daryl and, and Doc, you, you know, have that discussion and see how Daryl's able to kind of, if he can bring Doc around into saying like, look, we're going to compete for a title, but at the same time, we got to develop these guys and we got to start building, building this up here a bit. And it'll, it'll be fascinating to watch that whole thing shake down. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Well, I mean, that leads right into our next topic. We're in staff building season right now. And, you know, Doc is interesting because we we knocked him quite a bit for the way he did not develop guys like Landry Shamit into being usable players for them in the playoffs. Uh, Landry Shamit should have been a rotation player this year, I thought, in the playoffs, and and he just wasn't ready for the responsibility. Part of that, Mo has pointed out, they were asking him to do things that he wasn't really good at, and the NBA is a hard place to do that. So when you're when you're looking at building a staff, I mean, I guess let's just start with Doc. Is player development like the number one priority for for a staff with with Doc on it for you guys? For me, not so much um, in the what they need on this staff is, you know, and I think they're getting it in some of the guys we've seen coming over is they need guys that aren't going to just be yes men or guys that are going to start to push a little bit on the players. You know, um, we just saw announcements, you know, Sam Cassell is going to join Doc. Uh, I think uh, Dan Burke from longtime Indiana Pacers assistant, who I thought was never going to leave Indiana 
you know, at this point uh, is joining Doc. And I think they need guys that aren't going to uh, take excuses or allow, you know, kind of the guys to get away with some of the stuff they have. And I, I, I find it interesting. So for me, I don't think this staff necessarily needs a ton of development coaches but i think it's it's i think the guys they need are guys that can really get in these players faces and and really get in on them and and start to coach them because I, I think that's something that they've missed on this staff over the years you're wrong do you think that dan burke's comments about joel and bead uh, are, are going to be an issue I think Embiid tweeted about them yesterday already. He made a joke about it. Um, I enjoy – no, I asked somebody. I was reassured that it's all good and that they can't wait. I was told that they uh, they can't wait for the first practice for Embiid to uh, figure out some way to poke at Dan Burke. I actually um, don't think that that's a bad thing, honestly. No, it's funny. Yeah, right? it's hilarious. Yeah, because in a way, there, there's a little bit of a compliment there. When, when you have a coach who is so annoyed by a player – that he says it publicly, you know, and, and we all know uh, Tony Allen was great at annoying people. Patrick Beverly, great at it. Marcus Smart, great at it. But every single coach in the league would probably love to coach those guys, especially Marcus Smart. I mean, let, let's be honest. But uh, Seth, when, when you're thinking about building a staff, like from a front office perspective, you know, how much say do you think a front office should have in a coach's staff? I mean, that's the. That, that's the the multi million dollar question again. I think that that um, we we've talked in the past about how like the dual role of of you know head coach and GM is too much for one person to have. I I kind of think in today's NBA the the everything that's that's kind of traditionally been lumped into the the, the head coach's job is too much. So I think I mean in some ways I think it's a it's it's almost a good way to to split like some development responsibilities off from the from from you know uh, obviously there's differences between the sport but move a little more towards a baseball model in in that you know we have we have a, a, a an institutional culture of how guys get better here and and that that survives through you know different regimes and stuff like that so i i think that that part you, you the front office i would want to have say in it and beyond that um you know, a guy, especially a guy who has been a longtime successful coach, I think he probably knows what he needs on his staff to a large degree, a little bit better than than I might, because every staff operates in a different way, um, and and so there's not necessarily defined roles that you can drop people in from the outside. The Sixers, the thing that's fascinating about them to bring it back to them, and I'll be interested to see how this plays out um, this year. Last year, they had like one of the biggest player development staffs in the league. Like, I think they would even have separate meetings. Like, you know, Brett Brown would have to separate, you know, there was too many people to have as your normal coaches meeting. So they would have like a separate meeting for the quote developmental people. I even remember, I'm not going to name names, but I remember being at a practice once and asking somebody who worked for the team. Um, do you know how many development guys you have? How many members of staff you have? He's pointing around. We're in Miami, and he points to another a, a guy. I don't remember who the development coach was, and he didn't know his name. And he said, "Oh, he's with us." Oh, I, I can't remember. Oh, I uh, I can't remember his name. Which was <laughs> I'm not going to say who either. And but I thought you know that's not something that happens. You know, most people who are with NBA traveling parties, everyone in the traveling party knows each other's name, right? That's a little different. They also have like a vite. I'm going to. Her name is Annalie Schmittel. Schmittel, I'm going to mispronounce her name and I apologize. She was like a vice president of player development. It's sort of like they took a role that was never an executive role and they made it an executive 
um, and different people were reporting to her, not necessarily Brett. It was just a whole different system than we had with other teams. And it'll be interesting to see how much of that is car- or carries over into doc staff or is forced to. Like, was that just a Brett Brown thing? I don't think it was. It just, I don't really know where that ki- came from, but that's just like one of those little interesting things to pay attention to in terms of, you know, signs if are the Sixers operating in a different sort of way. Well, I, 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 I like the idea of the development, having the separate meetings. It's not even just because you have too many guys. A lot of times guys are getting work before practice, you know, and, and that's where your development coaches aren't in the coaches meetings. You know, coaches meetings normally go literally up until practice is about to begin. And those guys, you know, when I was with the Clippers, we had Dave Severance. This is under Vinny Del Negro. You know, he'd be in the coaches meeting for a little bit and then boom, had to run downstairs to, to start working with guys and so on. So I think it's, it's something I wouldn't be surprised to almost see that kind of change a little bit. Like in San Antonio, Chip England and Chad Forcier were rarely in coaches meetings because they were part of the development and part of the daily vitamin. And I think, you know, that's, that's the phrase we refer to it as. Um, I think that's kind of where that sort of comes from a little bit. So it'd be interesting to see how other teams, do that. And then to kind of the point Seth was making about coaches and, and picking their staffs, I think it just comes down to who, you know, who you hired, you know, and, and, and Seth was spot on. If you have a, if you hire a guy like Doc Rivers, he knows his, he knows what he needs. He knows what he wants around his staff and so on. Then if you hire a guy who's never coached before, you might need to give him a little more help in terms of names and, and, and who to look at and who, who you like. I think it just comes down to who, who you hire as your head coach. And from there, you, you start to build it out. Any of you guys worried about Oklahoma city at this point? I mean, we're, we're now less than three weeks from the draft. We don't know when free agency is going to start. We're not sure when the season's going to start, but we know it's within like eight to 10 ish weeks. Um, OKC still doesn't have a head coach, which means they don't have a staff and guys are getting poached guys. are I mean, it's, it's drying up out there. Uh, how worried should Oklahoma city be Seth? Like I see you grinning right now. Like I understand that they're, they're making, they're at a pivot point in, in their franchise history. Uh, but you still need a good coach, even with young players. Like hopefully well, if you have you, a good coach. On, on the other hand, if you want to talk about the team, that's sort of the epicenter of, of player development being an org thing rather than a head coaching thing, that's probably, it's probably OKC. So in terms of having, you know, guys in the gym to work with, players when players are back in gyms and stuff like that uh they are as well set up to do that without kind of the the head guy as as probably anybody um yeah but but on the other hand like you know we're we're you know possibly a month from training camp starting and so so, yeah I think that I would be I would I would uh I wouldn't be surprised if we saw someone announced there shortly just because like oh man we we we, we've got some hiring to do here so um yeah I would be a little worried just on that time frame I mean there are a lot of basketball coaches don't get me wrong and there's a lot of really good coaches that probably uh, should get a shot. I mean, Mike D'Antoni doesn't have a job right now. I'm not saying he's going to take the OKC job. I, I would doubt that very seriously. But there are plenty of coaches out there. It's just that the known quantities at this point are gone. I mean, Steven Silas was an assistant for 20 years. He's a known as known a quantity as an assistant coach as you're ever going to get. And he just got a job 
in Houston. And so when I'm when I'm thinking about possibilities for OKC, Steven Silas was actually high up on my list for them. A, he's been around for a long time, but but B, you know, he seemed like the type of guy that they're going to be going for for that job. I mean, maybe they'll call uh, Ime Odoka. I mean, there's a lot of guys, I think, for that job. I think that's a job that's kind of ripe for a former player or first year coach situation. Ime Udoka is a good guy. I think Jamal Mosley from Dallas is another good assistant coach you might want to look at bringing because this is a development job. This is a, a right. rebuild where this is why you're not going to get a D'Antoni or anything like that. For Besides, the and when they're reasons. in the second round of the playoffs next year, I'm going to make sure we pull this clip because. Oh, go ahead, Dave. Go ahead. Because they're not. You can <laughs> listen, Oklahoma City, it. chill out. Relax. You guys are going to have a fun regular season, maybe, but don't. You can make plans for after April. Uh, I, I don't think you're going to have uh, playoffs there, but it's going to be a good job for a young coach, kind of, or a, a Taylor Jenkins like guy. I think those are the, the kind of guys they're looking at. But it's interesting you talk about the assistant coaching candidates kind of being taken. Cause that's a great point, Dave, in that the longer you wait, it's not just the coach you're missing out on. It's the assistants that you want to probably go get. I mean, you know, I, I want to talk about the Clippers staff cause they're putting together kind of almost an all-star staff. You know, they hire Ty Lue. They're probably going to bring in Chauncey Billups and he's probably the least experienced coaching wise on that. Well, he is the least experienced coaching wise on that staff, but they're bringing Dan Craig from Miami. They're bringing Kenny Atkinson to run their development and things like that. And and that's going to be a big, big part for them. You know, they have Larry Drew, another former head coach. Like they have, they're building us, they're building a staff where you're just kind of like, damn, this is a hell of a staff. And then you're going to look at Oklahoma city when they hire their coach. And it's going to be like, I don't know who the other guys are. <laughs> I'm surprised um, Kenny Atkinson wasn't mentioned for OKC more. That always felt like a good mix for me. Um, the other thing I would say, though, is I think, you know, if Sam Presti thought he was going to miss out on one of his candidates, I think he would have scooped out. It's clear that he's just has, for whatever reason, whether it's financial, whether it's who, whether it's, we don't, you know, we like the guys that other people don't because we're in a different timeline. Whatever reason, there's clearly not a rush there from his standpoint. Um, and he clearly doesn't feel like he has to be in a bidding war or is about to be beat out for anybody. Maybe, maybe he'll pull a, a Greg Popovich and, and we'll see Sam Presti on the bench next year. <laughs> no, no way. That would be a, that'd be a shocker. Okay, so uh, own, you're, you're new here. As we wrap up each week, we like to close with the stuff that we're sort of paying attention to. Either things that we've noticed over the last couple of weeks or, or things that we're looking ahead to. So I'm going to put you on the spot because we didn't talk about this before the show. Uh, but what's on your your basketball mind uh, as we look ahead? I mean, the draft, like I said, it's three weeks away, less than three weeks. Um, what, what are you thinking about right now? I was going to say we're talking basketball, right? Because yeah. otherwise I can go much longer. Well, no, list. yeah. Um, <laughs> only basketball. <laughs> um, I have six. I suffer from Sixers brain. So I'm just really interested to see like how quickly these Al Horford rumors start popping up and what are the options there? Because, you know, how how, how Daryl Morey plays around with Al Horford, Josh Richardson, and lots of first and second round picks and what that looks like around. That's kind of what I'm looking at right now. Yeah, I keep seeing this, this Wiggins for Horford trade and I'm just uh, – Yawn. I just don't get it. <laughs> I, it makes no sense to me. Mo, what about you? Yeah, no, I'm just going to continue kind of keeping an eye on just the staffs. Like, I kind of enjoy this stuff. I mean, hey, Doc is taking, is promoting a former video coordinator 
to to his his bench. So you know, I mean, I'm happy for Pete Dominguez. He's earned it. He's been great wherever he's been. So I think you know that's that's exciting. I'm just going to keep watching that stuff. And I mean, there's just not much basketball for me to to watch or break down at this current it, moment. It is funny how video guys root so hard for other video guys. Uh, I mean, this I'm sure that there's want. some video guys that nobody likes. Actually, I know. Yeah, that there are video I, I was guys probably one of likes. them. Yeah. <laughs> I was um, probably one of them. So. <laughs> but I do. I, I mean, I and I have a soft spot for those guys. Obviously, I work a lot with uh, NBA's video guys for Sports Business Classroom. So I uh, always love to see those guys getting jobs. Seth, what about you, man? I am. So we, we recorded last week kind of before the push towards the the very early season start came. And then later last night, there was sort of some of the pushback from uh, um, uh, Michelle Roberts uh, from the Players Union about that. I am – this is f- fascinating, just the mechanics of getting the season started by Christmas time. I think that, you know, in a sort of a normal situation – there's there's just enough time to do it. Doing it amidst a pandemic, I'm just I am. How's this going to work? That's that's really what I'm most paying attention to. Is you know um, the degree to which there there's protocols versus there's a little bit of YOLO and we'll figure it out as we go. The um, opposite of what they did with the bubble. Yeah, I'd like to see them continue to be pragmatic like they were with the whole Orlando situation. Uh, obviously, it's untenable to do a regular season bubble. That's just not going to work because there are human beings involved and and there's just too many moving parts. Uh, that's too big of an ask of people. But I do hope that they continue to be pragmatic. I actually thought Ethan Strauss over at The Athletic, remember, theathletic.com slash NBA show, a buck a month. I thought Ethan did a really good job of coming to a compromise situation on the schedule where you actually stagger for teams. The the deeper you went in the Orlando bubble, the the later your season starts. And then by the end, you can speed things up and, and catch up. I, I think that that it's not perfect, but obviously we're dealing with imperfect times. And I think that coming up with something that is fair, but also safer, you know, the last thing anyone wants is the the Miami Heat or the Lakers being punished by having an uh, you know an increased chance of injury because of a short turnaround? I, I just don't think anyone wants that, including other teams in the league that have to play those teams. You know, nobody wants to see anyone at less than one hundred percent. So hopefully they figure that out. For me, I am doing draft work finally, and I am going to spend the next two weeks because we're off next week trying to figure out. Why Desmond Bain isn't going to be the number one pick in this draft? I can't. I cannot figure it out. The guy is too good. He's too jacked. He can shoot too well. He can handle the ball too well. I just don't get it. Um, I know he's 22 years old, but that guy is really, really good. So I'm going to be spending the next two weeks looking at uh, all these draft guys trying to figure out why Desmond Bain is not the first pick. Uh, guys, don't forget, we have a YouTube channel. The Athletic has a YouTube channel. we got a new show, Zach Harper, Big Waz, called Restricted Area. Go check that out. Uh, of, course, uh, of course, go to theathletic.com slash NBA show. Sign up for a buck a month. own. thank you so much. I'm so glad you were able to thank come you on. Guys. I, know, I appreciate it. I know your dance card is probably pretty full today, um, but uh, <laughs> I'm glad you made time to, to come hang out with us. 
My pleasure. This is great. Yeah. Uh, for Seth and Mo, I'm Dave, and we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. 